parental figure, friend, teacher, coach, mentor. And when one person invests their life into another's life over a period of years or over the long term, man, that leaves a mark on each of us for a lifetime. And the reality is that this is, this is the kind of life that, that God has called us to live as followers of, of Jesus, that we would invest in others and, and love others much in the same way that, that moms do so well and so naturally, to be honest. And, and in fact, the Apostle Paul, who uh, man invested in so many people um, in his time, he, he actually, when you, when you hear his words, he kind of modeled his ministry after the role of motherhood. If you look at, at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 through 9, when Paul is addressing the Thessalonians, the, the believers in, in this church in Thessalonica, he says, this, is, this was our ministry to you, he says, and see if this sounds similar to motherhood in any way, he says, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you, not, the God, not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, or our, our very souls, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. And do you hear any hints of like motherhood in there? Like this gentleness, this like a nursing mother, this affection that's deep down inside of us for those we invest in, that we would share with them, not just physical, needs and blessings, but like our very selves, our very souls, and this whole thing about laboring and toiling and working day and night, and any mamas in the room say amen to that, right? That sounds like motherhood. This is the model for us. It's, it's called discipleship, making disciples. And, and this is, is what moms model for us. It's the way that we're all to live out our faith and making long-term investments in others. Well, I want to consider, in the Old Testament, uh, a figure named Samuel. If you're familiar with Samuel, let me, let me just consider briefly, maybe you don't know anything about him, let me just quickly walk through the impact of Samuel in redemptive history. Samuel was an important uh, and, and very influential leader in the history of Israel. He was so vital in the course of the history of the nation of Israel, God's people. He was the, the last judge of Israel. So before God set up kings to rule in Israel, before they had a centralized government, God would raise up what he called judges who would help deliver the people from, from their enemies. And so Samuel was the last in this line of judges, and many would consider Samuel the greatest judge in Israel's history. Samuel was also uh, the one who anointed the first two kings of Israel. So he transitioned from the judges to the kings. And he anointed Saul, the first king, who was the people's choice. But then he also anointed the second king, who was David. God said, okay, Saul is a man after the people's heart. David is a man after my heart. And so Samuel got to anoint David, who ended up being the greatest king in the history of Israel. And his family line, even, we could trace the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ all the way back to David's line. And so... Samuel had this incredibly important role in the nation of Israel that even, even 
trickles down to, to you and you and I. Samuel was also considered a, a prophet. A prophet speaks on behalf of God to the people. And so he had this prophetic voice that was so important in leading the people of God. And then we also see that Samuel, if, you, if you're familiar at all with the Old Testament, two books of the Bible are named after Samuel, First and Second Samuel, uh, which technically those were originally one document, but, but we, we see all about Samuel and the importance of his life and his ministry. And he was such an important figure in the scriptures. But if you know where I'm going, man, his story started before he did. His story started with a godly mama, and her name was, was Hannah. And so what I want to invite you to do is, is to turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel. We're going to look and kind of walk through a little bit of 1 Samuel chapter 1. This, this book that is named after this prophet and judge, uh, Samuel, actually begins with the story of his, his mother. And so in 1 Samuel 1, starting in verse number 1, it says there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jerome, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, not to be confused with Tofu, son of Zoph and Ephrathite. You have to have fun with these names because they're brutal, right? Verse number two, he had two wives. Elkanah had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. So I want to pause here because if you're not familiar with the Bible, or maybe you are familiar and you read this and you go, okay, so this dude that the story is about has two wives. What's up with that? Okay, that's what we call polygamy. I don't have time to, to dig into that. That's not a Mother's Day topic anyways, right? Um, but I have a resource I want to refer you to. It's called gotquestions.org. Uh, you know, I mentioned this last week. We have a references tab on our, our website which with all kinds of apps and things that can help you engage with the scriptures. One of them is called Got Questions. Uh, it's, it's a great place to go. And if you have questions like, what's up with polygamy in the Old Testament? This is a great resource. There's over 7,000 answers to questions. Uh, so use that. Okay. I, I actually went on there and checked it out. It's a good response if you're, you're curious, you want to know more. Go there, okay? So moving right along, Elkanah has two wives. Hannah, who has no children, Peninnah has, has children. Verse number three. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival, Peninnah, used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it, so it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? And, and let me pause here and say, husbands, men, whatever, don't ever talk like this to your wife. This is like the worst example. Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? And I think God just kind of said, okay, let's, let's move right along here. Uh, 
I'm not going to respond to that. So, so we see this kind of setup. Elkanah has two wives, um, Peninnah and Hannah. Hannah is in a condition where she is not able to, to have children, so she's dealing with infertility at this point. And so a few things that I want to I consider in the story of Hannah, and then we'll kind of backtrack and see, okay, what can we glean from her story that can help us? And I do want to say this as a disclaimer. Hannah's story, I love her story, I love her response to all the things that she goes through, but one of the thing about, things about her story is this, this is not prescriptive. Like she has a very unique story uh, that is unique to her and the story that God is writing in her life and so it's the same as your story and my story. So the, the things that play out in her life aren't necessarily going to be the same as, as in ours, but we can learn some things from what she goes through. So what did, what did she experience? What was true about Hannah? First is this. Hannah longed for a son. She couldn't have children at this point, but man, she had a longing for a son. I want you to look back at verse number 9. It says in verse 9, after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. So this was no like passing desire. There was this deep longing. She was deeply distressed and she wept bitterly. Verse 11 says, she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant. So see, she's got this, she's afflicted in her soul. This is this deep longing she has. And she says, if, if you would but give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. And as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. I just think this is so fascinating. I, I think God's sense of humor comes through here because she is praying. She is deeply distressed, and she is praying for all that she's worth. But she's not, she's not praying out loud. She's praying in her heart, but her lips are moving. And so Eli, the high priest, is like, he's kind of watching out, and he's like, What's wrong with this drunk woman? What is she doing at the temple? And so he goes, he goes forward and tells her to put away her wine. But there's this, I want you to see that there's this longing that she has for a son. What did she do with, with this longing? Hannah prayed. Hannah prayed for a son. And we see her approach the Lord here. But let's pick up again in verse 14. It says that Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from me. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been, and here it is, I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. And so she has this deep longing, and what she does is she, she brings it to the Lord, and she pours out her soul. Verse 16, do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. And then Eli answered, he said, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate 
and her face was no longer sad. And so what you see is there's this deep longing. She describes it as this vexation, like, man, this is, this is so tormenting her. She has such a longing to have a, have a child, to have a son. But what she does is with that longing, she brings it to the Lord and she prays to the Lord and she releases it to the Lord and is able to, to walk away after this. But she longs for a son. She prays for a son. One of the things we saw in the midst of this was that Hannah promised to give him back to the Lord. Like, God, if you give me this boy, I will give him back to you all the days of his life. And we saw that in verse 11, she, she made this promise. She made a vow to him. And, and she said, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son. Here's the promise made. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. Now, this was a very specific once-for-all dedication that, that Hannah was making at this time. This was, if you recognize that no razor shall touch his head, it reminds you maybe if, if you're familiar with the Old Testament of, of uh, Samson, all right, this was a Nazarite vow. This was a dedication where she said, I am giving this child to the Lord. I'm giving him to the temple, to the, the priest, to raise him up to serve the Lord, okay? So this would be similar to if, you know, Jake and Corey have their child in September, and they said, we're gonna dedicate him to the Lord all the days of his life. And so they bring baby boy Garrett to the church, and they say, here you go, high priest, Pastor Andrew. Okay, it's not the same. And they say... Here is this child. We dedicate this child. Take him and raise him. You know what my response would be? Uh-uh, I've already done this. <laughs> it's your turn. You raise this child. God has given him to you. <laughs> all right. but, it, but it's different. So this was a once-for-all dedication. When we think of this, and this is a great biblical concept of giving our child or our children back to the Lord. But I would say this once for all dedication that Hannah was making, in my opinion, all right, just in my opinion, is far easier than the every single day dedication or giving your kids back to the Lord that modern day mamas have to do. You know what I'm saying? This was a once for all where she said, here, take them. Mothers today have this every single day dedication and giving their kids back to the Lord. And so here, here's Hannah. She longs for a son. She prays for a son. She promises to give him back to the Lord if the Lord would give her this child. And then we see the Lord acts. The Lord moves. He does something. It's all about Hannah, Hannah, Hannah. And all of a sudden the Lord, the Lord remembered, the Lord visited, the Lord gave to Hannah. And I want to go back to verse number 19 in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Again, we're just tracing through her story. And we're going to pull out some things here in a few minutes. Verse number 19, it says, They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And there's a phrase here that I want you to, to, to catch. Okay, so the Lord remembers her. Verse number 20 and in due time, don't forget that, hang on to that. In due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The name Samuel means literally asked of 
God. And so God remembers her and God answers and God gives her this child. And again, this isn't prescriptive of our stories. This is describing what happened for her. Sometimes we pray and long for something that God may not ever quite give us as we want or even in the time that we want. And that's why I want you to catch verse 20. He says, the writer says, in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. In other words, in God's timing, when God was ready, God gave her a son. We don't know how long this was, but it wasn't immediate, right? It wasn't immediate. God gave her. And this this reminds me uh, of, of a New Testament verse, Galatians 4.4. I don't have it on the screens for you. In Galatians 4.4, same phrase, same idea when it says that in the fullness of time, in other words, in due time, when God was ready, God sent forth his son. And so there's this principle that God operates on his own timetable, and it's not always the same as ours. But he answered, he responded, he remembered her, and he visited her. I want you to look um, in chapter 2, in, in verses 20 and 21, what happened is God gives her Samuel. They, they give him back to the Lord. The next year they come, or, or another year they come to worship and offer sacrifice again. And, and Hannah and Elkanah run into Eli, the high priest again. Remember the high priest who thought she was drunk and she was actually praying and pouring out her soul. Chapter 2, verse number 20, it says, Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, may the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. And so what you see here is is God even answers further and he gives more sons and, and daughters later on, but I, I just want you to see the, the, the verbiage and the picture here that the Lord remembered and the Lord gave and the Lord visited Hannah, that, that he didn't respond. He could have you know, responded from a distance and given her what she wanted in the time that she wanted it, but it says that in due time, he visited her and he came near and he responded, and he gave her what he wanted to give her in his time. And so the Lord remembered, he visited, he gave to Hannah. And then Hannah's response, Hannah praised the Lord. Hannah praised the Lord. And we're not going to look at this whole passage. Uh, I want to look at a couple verses. First Samuel chapter 2, we move into the next chapter. I want to read verses 1 and 2. This passage goes all the way down to verse 11. Hannah prays again, but it's a different kind of prayer. It's not a desperation prayer of giving her longing to the Lord. It's a prayer of praise. She says in verse 1, Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. And she goes on and praises God for who he is and what he has done. She praises him. But here's the thing. Sometimes we would say, man, of course, it's easy to praise the Lord when he gives you what you want, right? 
But here's the thing about Hannah's story. She didn't wait for a yes to worship the Lord. She wasn't waiting for him to answer and to give her what she asked for, to praise the Lord. In fact, if, if we go back to the verses that we saw earlier in, in 1 Samuel 1, verse number 17, Eli said, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant you your petition that you have asked or have you made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way. And remember what we saw about Hannah when she was vexed and deeply distressed and anxious. Man, this, it was all over her countenance. She was sad and she would not eat because she was so bothered by this, this desire she had. Well, she prays and then it says, then the woman went her way and she ate and her face was no longer sad. She was able to release it to the Lord. Verse number 19, they rose early in the morning and what did they do? They worshiped the Lord. She hadn't gotten an answer from the Lord. There wasn't an affirmative. There wasn't a promise that she was gonna receive a son. But you know what she did? She was able to pray, give her longing to the Lord and then worship him whether he answered yes or no or not right now. She was able to praise him in the midst of that, even before a yes came to her request. And so this is, this is Hannah's story. She longed for a son. She prayed for a son. She promised the Lord that if he gave her a son, she would give him right back to him. And then the Lord acted. He remembered and he visited and he gave Hannah and then Hannah praised the Lord. So this is, in a nutshell, Hannah's story. So how, are we, how do we relate to this? What can we learn from this? Because not all of us are, are moms in this room. And so what can we learn? What principle can we learn from her story and how she lived her life in relation to God? Well, let me say this, that just like with Hannah, we can't control what God does. We can't control how he answers us, what his answer will be and the timing in which he answers us. All that we can control is how we respond to the Lord and what we do with what he's given us. And so here is, here's kind of the, the big statement that I want to make and I want to spend a few minutes applying it to us. And this is for every single one of us, mother, father, friend, mentor, whatever place you are in life, whatever situation you are in, here is the, the principle. Give God what you have and what you want and worship him. Give God what you have. Maybe that's your children. Maybe that's your job, whatever he has given you. Give God what you have and give God what you want Whatever your longings are, whatever your desires are, maybe your desire is like, Hannah, give me a child, give me a family, give me a, a spouse, give me a, uh, whatever it is. Give all that you have and all that you want to God and then worship him and trust it to him and worship him. I want us to look at a passage here, uh, 1 Corinthians 7. I just want to consider this, what Paul says here, these these believers in, in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, this church, these, these, these people in the church at Corinth, man, they've got all kinds of stuff going on in their life. 
Paul's having to correct some stuff and help them and steer them away from sin. Chapter seven, he's talking about marriage and what we do with our bodies and, and so forth. And he comes down to this passage that I think is, is so important for every follower of Jesus that is kind of tucked away in 1 Corinthians 7. Let's read it. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 17 through 24. Starting verse 17, Paul says this. And what he does is three times over and over and over, he hits on the subject of contentment that every single follower of Jesus needs to, to hear. So three times. First time here is verse 17. He says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Each person, live the life that the Lord has assigned to you and to which God has called you. This is my rule in all the churches. He goes on and he says, was anyone at the time of his call, in other words, when, when God called to him and, and redeemed him from his sin, was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? And again, we, and this is back in this Jewish culture, circumcision was an important thing. He says, let him not seek to remove the, the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Okay, who knew we'd be talking about circumcision so much on Mother's Day, all right? All right, moving right along. Verse number 20, each one, here's the second time he mentions this, this concept of contentment. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Don't be concerned about it, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of that opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of the Lord. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, third time here, contentment. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let, uh, there let him remain with God. Okay, so, so here's the principle, and he, he goes through, you know, if, if you're circumcised or uncircumcised, don't seek to be the other that you're not. Don't seek to get out of the condition you're in. If you're um, a bondservant or you were called as a bondservant, don't seek to be a freedman or vice versa. Remain in the condition in which you were in. He goes on later in this chapter to talk about if you're married, don't seek to be single. If you're single, don't seek to be married. And, and so what he's talking about is this idea of, of contentment. So let me say it this way. This is, this is one of the ways this applies to us, is be faithful to God in your current condition. Be faithful to God in your current condition. Whatever that is, like, have you found this to be true about you? I know it, I, I do for me that there's always kind of this dreaming of whatever the next phase is or the next season of life. And so like when you're a student in high school, man, you're dreaming of, of graduation, right? And then you get into to college or post-college and you're like dreaming of, of, of the real life, of adulting or whatever. You, you're single, you dream of getting married. Sometimes you get married and you dream of having children. Sometimes you have little kids and you dream of those little kids becoming old kids and, and leaving. Or maybe you're in a job where you're dreaming of that next position or or you get to the point in your career where you're dreaming about retirement. And it seems like we're always, always, always dreaming and longing for the next season or the next phase of life. Are you with me? Am I the only one 
that's like that. We're always looking for that next big season that's going to be bigger and better. And, and I believe what we see in Scripture, and particularly here, is Paul says, hey, be faithful in whatever condition you find yourself in. Don't miss the season that God has you in. I mean, I've, I've heard this from, from parents all down through the years where it's like, don't blink. You know, they're going to be, they're going to grow old and, you know, leave the house. And you're going to be like, man, I wish I would have enjoyed those years more. And, but what happens? It's we're always longing for the next thing. And what Paul says is, whatever condition you find yourself in right now, it's not always going to be the same, but right now, remain there with God. Don't rush ahead. Don't move past. God has you in this space, in this season for a reason. And so don't miss it. Be faithful to God in your, in your current condition. And I think we see that from the life of, of Hannah. Man, she was vexed and, and tormented. She desired this son so much, but man, she tried to be faithful to the Lord. I also want to see something else from her story is that that longing is okay. It's okay to long for something as long as it's not sinful or prohibited by God in the scriptures. Like, man, to long for, for things, to dream about something is not a bad thing. But don't live for the longing. Live for the Lord. It's, it's okay to long, but don't live for the longing. And sometimes we get caught in that place where we're so desiring something else that we live for that and we miss the very place that God has planted us. And so longing is okay, but don't live for the longing, live for the Lord. So if we're look, to look at and follow the example of, of Hannah, it would be take that longing, let it, let it drive you to the Lord pray, release it to God, and then go on your way and worship, right? Pray, release it to God, and then worship. Lather, rinse, repeat, right? Over and over and over through life. Pray, give your longings and your desires to the Lord, release it to him, and then worship him. And trust him to do what he does when he wants to do it because that is the best thing for you and for me. It's okay to long, but live for the Lord, not for your longing. L let, me, let me give a, a quick word to, to moms in the room or, or online. And y'all know this, moms know this, parents know this, but I wanna remind you again, because we need to be reminded over and over. Moms, give your kids back to God. Give your kids back to God. You know, it's easy to look at, at our children or maybe someone that you're pouring your life into or investing in and think, okay, God has given me this person or this child and I'm going to, they're mine and so I'm responsible. And yes, we're stewards, but they belong to God. They're all his anyways. And so give your kids back to God. Point them to him take them to him, instruct them in his ways. But at the end of the day, we have to pray and, and release them and entrust them to the care of God who loves them more than you and I ever possibly could. Give them back to God. There, there's a quote that I, I mean, I, I, I hit this, I feel like every time I think about 
parenting, Mother's Day, Father's Day, all of it. Andy Stanley once said this, your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone you raise. Your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God, and I hope that for every single one of you that you make contributions to the kingdom of God, that your life matters for all of eternity, that you invest yourself in others. But, but here is the reality. This, this sobers us up to the, the, the responsibility that God gives us to pour into our kids and to others is your greatest contribution. It may not be something you do, but someone you raise. I mean, think of Hannah. Hannah. We see her story in the beginning of 1 Samuel, chapters 1 and chapters 2. But we don't hear anything else about Hannah throughout the rest of Scripture. All we hear is that Hannah prayed to the Lord for a son. God gave her a son. She gave him back to God. And then God took that son and changed the world. Led to a savior. Listen, your greatest contribution, it may be someone that you raise. And for Hannah, man, that was her story. The the beginning of Samuel's story, this first chapter and a half of this book is all about this godly mama that had this child but said, God, he is yours. I'm giving him back to you. And so moms, man, give your kids back to the Lord and then know this, know that the Lord remembers you. He remembers you. He hears you. Whatever your longing is for yourself, for your kids, for your family, he hears. He will visit you. He will come close and he'll give you what you need when you need it. And so you can praise him. You can praise him in the meantime. 1 Peter 4, 9 I think this applies to all of us. We all suffer in in ways in this life, in this world. And it says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. He says, man, you can entrust your life to him. He is a faithful creator. But man, keep doing good. Keep living for him. Keep being faithful. Know that he has a plan for you, that he is working. And man, he's going to give you what you need when you need it. And so give God what you have and what you want. And then worship him. Just like Hannah did. You know, I remember, you know, this this whole thing of Mother's Day. I don't remember as a kid, I don't know, I, I don't remember doing much for my mom. I'm sure I made some, you know, cheesy you know, things at project at school and took it home to mom and said, happy Mother's Day and, you know, all that stuff and probably had stuff on the refrigerator. I don't remember Mother's Day much as a kid growing up. My first real recollection of Mother's Day, and I really, honestly, I don't remember many of, many of them in the course of my life, but there's one that I very distinctly remember. It was Mother's Day of 2003. And the reason I remember this so vividly is because uh, my wife Annette and I were pregnant with our first, what would be our firstborn son, Isaiah. Uh, We didn't know if he was going to be a boy or a girl, um, but we were, Mother's Day fell on a Sunday of that year. So his due date was May 7th or 8th. And, you know, we, we blew past that into the weekend. And here we are on May the 11th, 2003, 
Mother's Day. And so, you know, we're kind of like, well, that would be kind of cool, wouldn't it, if, we, if you know, we had our, our first child on Mother's Day, that would be kind of a cool memory. But I remember in church, they, they, and maybe you've been in a church that's done this, we're not going to do it to y'all, but they would say, hey, all the moms in the room, uh, if you would stand, we want to honor you and recognize you. And so I remember in that point, I'm like, we're kind of in this in-between, like mom-to-be, she, and, you know, and I remember she was like, I, she was mad. She was like, I am not standing because this child has not yet come. She was like vexed in her soul. I'm telling you, she, was, she wasn't cursing God, all right? She's a godly woman, but she was like, I'm not standing for this. But I just remember us being like, okay, that, this is my first recollection of Mother's Day because we were waiting for this child. And we're like, is it going to be a boy or a girl? And are we going to screw this child up for life? Please, God, help us. And I just remember, I remember the church service. I remember the, the, like we were in these pews on the right side of the, the auditorium. And I remember, and I remember people standing up and I remember getting kind of emotional because it was like, parenthood is ready to, like, it's going to come upon us and we don't know what we're doing and God, we need you. And, and, and I remember that, that first Mother's Day. So we, we ended up going, uh, she was scheduled to be induced that next night at like midnight. So we went in on Monday. Uh, so that after midnight he could be induced. And so he ended up being born on May the 13th, um, you know, a couple days after Mother's Day. Uh, and so I, I just remember that whole event, and I remember being overwhelmed. And I remember, and maybe you've been there, maybe you haven't been there yet, or you're, some of you are approaching this time, but I remember saying, okay, God, you're going to entrust us with a life, with a child, and we don't know what we're doing. We need you. And, and all we could do is say, God, this, this child is yours. And you're giving us this child. And we, to the best of our, our, our ability and knowledge, we want to give this child back to you. In fact, that's why we named him Isaiah. Because Isaiah 6.1, where you see the prophet who says, here am I. Lord, send me. I'm available. Send me wherever you want and I'll go. And all we knew was we wanted to raise kids who would be available to the Lord like that. And we knew we didn't have the ability to do that. So we said, God, here is our, here is this child that you have given to us. This is your kid. And here we are in 2021. Oddly enough, 18 Mother's Days later, and we have a son, our firstborn son, Isaiah, who will turn 18 this week, who will graduate in a few weeks, and we will send out and trust to the Lord. And we'll be saying the same thing that we've tried to say every day of our lives since then is, God is yours. Would you use him? Would you bless him? Would you work in him and through him? That is our prayer for every one of our kids. And listen, y'all, this is the blueprint that God has given us, not just as parents, but as followers of Jesus. Man, would you hear me this morning? This isn't just the work of mothers. This is the work of every follower of Jesus, that we would, with our own children, invest in them and raise them up physically and spiritually, and then we would send them out but as spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers, God has given us the privilege and the responsibility, the, the blessing of 
investing in others and raising them up spiritually so that we could do what Jesus did with us and send them out to live for God and for the mission of God. And so now, now that I've gotten all blubbery on you, let me end by just saying this. God bless mothers and may God use us to fulfill that role in the lives of others spiritually, just like God has used moms in our lives and used others to invest in us. Amen. God, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for every mom in this room, every mom represented our own mothers, the people that you have put in our life to invest in us, to help raise us up. And God, I pray that you would bless every single mom here, but God, I pray that you would help help us as your followers to understand our incredible privilege to be like the Apostle Paul, to, 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 to come and approach others as, as a gentle nursing mother with deep affection and love in our hearts for others, that we would invest in people that you put into our lives so that we could see them go off and glorify you and live for you and live for your mission. So God, I pray that you would, you would help us to be those kind of people. We'd be like Hannah, that we would follow this model of motherhood and, and the way that we invest in and raise up and send out for the glory of God. Lord, I pray for every person in this room. Lord, I know there's different emotions that come into this day. There's feelings of appreciation. There's joy. There's also hurt and heartache and sorrow. God, I pray that you would that you would visit every single one of us the way that you visited Hannah, that you would give us exactly what we need when we need it. Help us to entrust our lives to you as a faithful creator while doing good. So God, thank you for this opportunity. We worship you. We worship you with all of our hearts. Would you receive our praise today? We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Would you all stand with us? We want to continue to worship our good God.